The tabernacle was the place where God's presence would dwell in the midst of his people. Whenever the people looked to the tabernacle, they would literally see his presence, which is called the Shekinah glory. Initially, it was represented by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Whenever the people of Israel looked to the tabernacle, they would see that God was with them. It was in the midst of God's people that God made himself known to the world. And it was from this Eden-like place that God intended his kingdom to advance. The tabernacle, and later the temple, is God's kingdom headquarters. This was the place where sin was atoned for through the shedding of blood. This is a shadow of what was to come when Jesus himself would shed his blood for us. God's kingdom versus the kingdoms of this world, and that's really what that video clip was really all about. This morning, my message is not uh, specifically about Christians being persecuted, um, but I wanted to open up by reminding you uh, or giving you a context for this Christian life that we live. We are members uh, of the kingdom of God. If we put our faith in Christ, if we are Christians, then we are members of the kingdom of God, and there is a battle going on. Uh, I want you to know that there is a force called the force of darkness, uh, and it is initiated by Satan himself against us, and Satan will do everything in his power to make things uh, impossible for us, and that includes persecution. Uh, listen to this. In Iraq, Christians, there used to be over one and a half million Christians in Iraq. Today, it's been reduced to just 300,000, and this Assyrian Christian uh, says that we are being massacred and I don't know how much further we can go. ISIS has systematically targeted religious minorities for murder and abduction and has uh, auctioned off girls and women kidnapped from religious minorities. The prices for the youngest ages, one to nine, is $200. It's absolutely sickening. And folks, I want you to know that, uh, ironically, that where this is happening, is the land of the Garden of Eden, the place where God's original kingdom was established. So we, we have got a war going on. And, uh, and so you and I need to understand that. We need to understand that, that as long as we are on this planet, we will be under attack. Uh, for a number of years now, Christians have had it fairly easy, at least in the West, we've had it easy. We've had... Um, uh, relative freedom, and Christianity has, has really uh, pervaded and has, has sort of infiltrated every part of our society and our culture. And, and it's for this reason that we have enjoyed the kind of prosperity that we've had, and we've had the freedom that we've enjoyed. It's a land that people want to come to. And it's no accident that people want to come to Canada and to the USA. We have enjoyed the freedom that we have, the prosperity we've had because of, of Christian values. So it, what's happening now, folks, around the world, and not just here in the West, is that there is, is, there's a new climate. And if you listen to the news, if you watch what's going on, then you will see that... that uh, things are no longer the same. 
uh, Christians now are reviled, we're hated uh, because of what we believe in, because of our stance. People say that we are uh, intolerant and judgmental. We've been called bigots. Uh, the fact of the matter is, is that we are just sim simply trying to live according to the laws of God. Remember last week we talked about Mount Sinai and how God gave us laws and rules for us to live by? Well, this is what's annoying people. They don't want to live by these rules. They want to rebel against these rules. Uh, I read some shocking statistics. Uh, we're told that over 100 million Christians around the world are being persecuted. It's absolutely unlike anything we've seen before. And I want to show you this. Uh, this is a map of the areas in the world where we're seeing extreme persecution. Uh, every part that's got a color on it, there's, there's some form of persecution going on. The red patches, as you can imagine, are the extreme places. But we know that there are at least 50 countries in the world today that are experiencing some form of communication. Now, the extreme persecution is happening, happening in North Korea, in Iraq, Eritrea, Afghanistan, Syria, Pakistan, Somalia, Sudan, Iran, and Libya. You see that little red flag, fleck off, off to the edge there? It looks like a toenail. That's North Korea. And this is the absolute worst place in the world for persecution of Christians. So I want you to know this. I'm saying all this to say this. This war that's going on is not a geopolitical war. Although, although those of the world think it is. We as Christians understand that it is a spiritual war. And you could say, well, Pastor John, what about the Crusaders? Well, that's a good point. The Crusaders, they believed that the kingdom of God was advanced uh, physically, geopolitically. And they believed that they needed to go and kill people and, and try to take over the world. But they, were, uh, they may have had good intentions, but I'm going to tell you that they were absolutely 100% wrong in what they were doing. This, there was nothing that Christ was not part of that in any way, shape, or form. I know some here would disagree with me, but I can tell you, well, just think of it like this. Could you see Jesus getting on a horse with a spear and going around killing people? It's not going to happen. And God's people don't do that. We don't function that way. Now, we should not be surprised at the persecution that's going on. Because here's what Jesus says himself. He says, and from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. And we know that it's forced, been forcefully advancing for literally uh, two millennia. Uh, today, Christianity is the largest religious or faith group in the world. But look at this. Jesus says it's, it's forcefully advancing, but he says, and violent people are attacking it. So we understand that as long as we are going about the business of sharing our faith, of advancing the kingdom of God, and remember, the kingdom of God advances in people's hearts. That's where God establishes his kingdom. When you became a Christian, Nick, God drove back the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light filled your heart and your mind. And the same thing happened to me and the same thing happens to everybody here who calls himself or herself a Christian. It's not geopolitical in the sense it's not territorial. It's not, an, it's not a country, but it's a person. And if everybody in the country is serving Jesus Christ, well, then it does become geopolitical. But this, is, this has never been God's plan until the end of time, until Jesus' second coming. Does everybody get that so far? So we understand the advancement of the kingdom of God is in people's hearts. Now, 
The Garden of Eden represents God's headquarters. Remember we said that two weeks ago? We said it last week as well. We said it's God's headquarters on earth. And it is God's kingdom headquarters, if you want to call it that. And we see, we see the Eden, the Garden of Eden, surfacing in different places and in different ways. We see it uh, in the garden. We see it on a mountaintop we call Mount Sinai. And today we're talking about Eden as seen in the tabernacle. Now, I've got to just stop for a moment here. Because you know how I keep telling everybody, you've got to read your Bible, you've got to read your Bible, you've got to read your Bible. Some of you have actually listened to me, and you've done that. And so I'm going to just tell you, those of you who have read your Bible, you're going to really, really get what I'm saying today. You're going to understand it 100%. Those of you who have not yet read your Bible, it might be a little bit fuzzy, but I'm hoping that what I'm saying to you today will motivate you to go home and crack open your Bible and actually start to read it to find out what's in there. Because here's what I know about so many people. When they read the Bible, they say, Pastor Alan, I don't get it. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. If you understand that the Bible is, is a chronicle of Eden from Genesis right to Revelation. Remember, we start in Eden and we end in Eden, in the book of Revelation. If you begin to understand it's how God works on this earth, advancing his kingdom, then it all begins to make sense. And you begin to, when you read your scripture, you begin to see what it all means. So uh, I, wanna, I want you to understand something. Uh, this tabernacle... In case you don't know what a tabernacle, a tabernacle is, can't even say that. A tabernacle is a tent or it's a dwelling place. Uh, it's, you can, there's various names for it. Eventually, it became the temple. Uh, the tabernacle was made uh, out of uh, calfskins and, um, and it, was, it, was, it was not made of bricks and stones and that sort of thing. Uh, but we'll talk about more of that in just a moment. But here's what I want you to know before I go any further. Really important to get this. It's always been God's plan to redeem his people. That is to save his people. This is why the Bible tells us that we need a savior and a Lord. We don't just need a king, but we need a savior as well. God's people, God's people uh, recognize that God is their king, but but before we can embrace him as our king, we have to embrace him as our savior. So understand this. From the beginning of time, it's always been God's plan to save those who want to be saved. You get that? The Bible says that, from, listen to this, from the foundation of the earth, the lamb was slain. And so we recognize that right from the beginning of time, God, God's plan was that was that some, there would be some salvation for his people. Now, uh, in Genesis chapter 3, some of you will remember, uh, God says that the serpent, that is Satan, will strike Jesus' heel, but Jesus will crush Satan's head. That's what we call the proto-evangelium, the very first evangelistic message. But I want to show you something that I think is really cool. It's what we call... Um, we call it a, a remez, and a remez is, according to Jewish hermeneutics, that, that, that is the interpretation of Scripture, it's a hidden message or a deeper meaning. So here's, here, here's, by the way, how many people read genealogies and think, what is, like, I don't know, why, why does God include all these genealogies in here? What does this all mean? Why do we have to know about uh, 
Adam and, and then Seth and then Methuselah and so on and so forth. I mean, that, does it all make sense? Well, watch this. Here's the genealogy that's listed in Genesis chapter 5. We've got Adam, we've got Seth, and then Seth begets, well, he doesn't do it, his wife does, but this is the line, Adam, Seth, and Enosh, Kenan, Mahalal, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and then Noah. Each of these names has a meaning, and here's the meaning. Adam means man, and I think, I think most of us know that, uh, or humanity. Uh, Seth means appointed, Enosh means mortal, Kenan means sorrow, Mahalal means the blessed of God. Jared shall, means shall come down. Enoch means teaching. Methuselah, his death shall bring. Lamech means despairing. And Noah means comfort or rest. Now, when you put those words together, here's what you're going to find. You're going to see God's plan of redemption. Man is appointed mortal sorrow. That means death. But the blessed God shall come down. Who's the blessed God that comes down? Say it. Jesus, that's right. The blessed God shall come down doing what? Teaching that his death shall bring the despairing comfort or rest. There's a message hidden right there in Genesis chapter 5, which most people have never seen. And quite frankly, I didn't see it till not that long ago. Uh, it was through, through studying this, and, and I've, I've con had it confirmed, and you can look that up yourself if you want. We call that a remez, that hidden message. And there's more in the Scripture, and I don't have time to get into it now, but here's a reason why you need to come to that class that we have in the coming year, in the new year. So God's plan is to redeem us. God's plan is to, to rescue us from darkness, to rescue us, to save us from sin. So let's take a look then at God's plan because we, we see God giving Noah, or Moses, pardon me, giving Moses his law, his Ten Commandments. And he says to his people, you need to live by these laws and by these rules. And not only does God give Moses rules and regulations that govern his people in his kingdom, but God says, you need to worship me, and I'm going to show you how you're going to worship me. In other words, I'm going to show you how you can reestablish communion or connection with me. Folks, listen to the God took the initiative. God initiated this reconnection with, with his people, with humanity. So let's take a look at this. Uh, first thing I want you to recognize is that uh, in the biblical world, when, when the Bible is written, Everybody understood that, that when it came to, to talking about their God, God was often represented as being in a garden. We've talked about, you know, if you, if you look at the, the diagrams the, the, and the, um, the temple carvings, etc., in Egypt, you'll see that Eden or paradise is often represented by a garden or by mountaintops, but it's also represented by tents or by tabernacles. And so the ancient people would have understood the significance of this tabernacle. They would have known that this tabernacle or this tent was a place where God was going to meet with his people. These tents were set up 
on uh, atop these, these cosmic mountaintops and, and, and in their lush gardens. And this is the place where heaven and earth would intersect and where divine decrees would be issued. So in other words, everybody understood that, that this tabernacle that God wanted Moses to build, that that would be the place where God would meet with his people. Now, can I just point something out to you really, really cool? Remember I told you last week that when I was in, in Greece as a missionary, one of the things that I did with other missionaries is that we climbed up Mount Olympus. It was a two-day journey. It took us two days to get there. And uh, when, we, when we got up there, uh, we discovered that, in fact, there were no gods there. Uh, it's, and even though that's, that's what the Greeks believe. They believe that's where their mythological gods are. But understand this. In, in all of the cultures of the world where gods are positioned on their mountains, they were remote, they were distant from their people. But we see in Yahweh, that is our God, we see that he comes down from the mountain. He comes down from that remote place to dwell amongst his people. God wants to be with us. In fact, the prophet Isaiah when talking about Jesus Christ coming, says his name will be called Emmanuel, which is God with us. We sing that, don't we? Uh, we sing it at, at Christmas time. Emmanuel, God with us. God leaves that remote place so that he can come and dwell amongst us and be with us. Now, when you're reading through the book of Exodus, you might think to yourself, man, this is all so boring, all this information about, about the tabernacle and build it with this and with that, and it should be this many cubits and that many cubits and so on and so forth. So here's what we read in Exodus 25 to 31. Moses receives the instructions for making the tabernacle. It's where God will meet with his people. And God gives Moses very exact instructions. And in fact, God warns Moses, make sure you do this exactly the way I'm telling you to do it. And you're going to see in a moment why that is. So Moses is away. He's getting all these instructions from God as to how he's supposed to build this tabernacle where, where he's going to come down and he's going to dwell in the midst of his people. But we get to Exodus 32, 33, 34. We see something very terrible happen. Moses has been gone for a while, and the people of Israel are starting to panic. They're saying, this guy comes and gets us out of the comfort of our home, the comfort of the land we live in. No, it maybe wasn't that comfortable, but at least it's familiar. And he drags us out of Egypt. He brings us across the, the Red Sea. He brings us into the wilderness, and then he takes off on us. Where is he? So then he turned to Moses' brother and and says to Aaron, Aaron, you need to build us another god. You need to build us a golden calf. Some of you will remember that. Now, the irony of it all is this. These people are hungry, are desirous, are needing divine protection and divine guidance. This is what they're looking for. This is what they're longing for. This is what they're missing. But this, friends, is exactly what Moses is trying to do. He's trying to get instructions from God to build a tabernacle where God's presence can rest so that people will have divine protection and guidance. And you remember the story. You know, Moses comes down from the mountaintop, and he sees the people dancing in, in, just in, in a 
in a crazed state around this golden calf that they've formed out of gold, and they're worshiping it. And Moses takes the Ten Commandments and he smashes it. You remember that. And he's got to go back up now and, and carve some out himself. The story advances and we get to Exodus 35 to 40. And we find the final details for the creation of the tabernacle. I'm going to show you a picture of it in a moment, so don't panic. But it's interesting that, that after the tabernacle is, is built... It's then that the Shekinah, we call it the Shekinah glory, the, the presence of Almighty God fills the temple of God. And we discover that God gives clear instructions to the people of Israel. They are to encamp around the tabernacle. In, in fact, if you look at God's plan for the establishment of these these 12 tribes around the tabernacle, it actually forms a cross. Coincidence? I don't think so. But in the middle of the 12 tribes of Israel is the very presence of God. God is dwelling amongst his people. So then we read, and by the way, John chapter 1, verse 14, what, is, what does John say? That Jesus comes down to this earth, and what does he do? It says he, well, in the Greek it says he tabernacles amongst us. Or, or as we translate into English, he comes and he dwells around us. Another way to say it is Jesus has come to pitch his tent among us. Now John is giving us a clear signal. He's saying that what we see in the Old Testament, God dwelling in the midst of his people, Jesus now has come to this earth and he's dwelling in the midst of his people. Now just keep that in your mind for a moment. So let's move ahead then. We're, we're looking at this tabernacle. There's the tabernacle. And, and you'll see that, uh, that there's a, an outer courtyard. And within that courtyard is, is the... Um, let's see if I can work this. Okay, can you see a little dot, that red dot? If you don't, if you can't see it, bring glasses next week. Right? <laughs> so there, see, there, there's, the, there's the outer... Uh, um, fence that forms the courtyard. Right here is what we call the bronze altar. And then right beside it, you can hardly see it, that is what we call the, uh, the, the bronze basin or laver. That's where people would wash. Now, I'm going to show you more of that in just a moment. But here's what you need to know. You need to know that once the tabernacle is established in the midst of the people, you'll notice that around Around the, the tabernacle are all the tents of all the tribes of Israel. And you'll notice that right in the midst of that is the very presence of Almighty God. This is something that had never been seen before. It's a cloud by, by day and a pillar of fire by night. It was absolutely stunning. Now, I want you to see something because here's what a lot of people, they read the Old Testament, they say, I don't get it. Well, you got to read your Bible. I just got to keep stressing that. you got to read it. And you got to start wrestling with it and, be, and try to understand it. I'm giving you just a very, very uh, bird's eye view of the whole picture. You could read uh, Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 9, and it gives you a bit of an understanding. But look at this. The writer of Hebrews says this is a system of worship, that is a temple or a tabernacle worship, is a system of worship that is only a copy or a shadow of the real one in heaven. 
For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning. Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern that I've shown you here on, here on the mountain. Why do you think that is? I'll tell you why it is, folks. Because this tabernacle actually represents the person and the work of Jesus Christ on earth. You need to... Moses, you cannot deviate, not even a millimeter. You've got to do it exactly the way I'm telling you to do it. Don't improvise, Moses. You've got to do it exactly because what you're going to see is a fulfillment of the tabernacle in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, I've got to just stop for a moment here because I, don't, I know some of you maybe are kind of losing you. Don't panic here. I'm going to have a class in the spring and you'll be able to understand it better. If you've read through your Bible, you're probably getting this okay. Uh, but but I, I need to point something out to you that's, that's, uh, that's really critical. Um, you need to understand that, that, that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of God's will to redeem humanity. Adam and Eve were kicked out of the presence of God because of their sin, and God's plan is that through Jesus Christ, God, remember we read that, God coming down from heaven, God was going to restore Israel to himself, and not just Israel, but everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. Now, it has to be exact. It cannot deviate because this is, this is what God wants us to know. Jesus is the fulfillment of this. Can I just tell you something interesting? People reading the Old Testament, they would not have understood this. And I told you last week about this Jewish fellow by the name of Andrew Clavin. He didn't understand his faith. He didn't understand the Old Testament. None of it made sense until he read the New Testament. And after he read the New Testament, he could look back to the Old, and suddenly the lights are coming on. Now he gets it. Now he understands the purpose of the tabernacle, the purpose of the Holy of Holies, and the holy place, and the altar, and the... And well, I'll, I'll talk more about that in just a moment. But understand this. Jesus Christ helps us understand what the Old Testament is all about. So you can't just say, I don't need to read it. You do need to read it. You need to understand what God's plan is. Now, I want to talk to you real quickly about what, the, about what is in the temple. I want to talk to you about the furnishings. And, and, uh, and so here's what you need to see. I don't know if you can see that very well. Um, but the, f the first thing we recognize is, is the, uh, the entrance. Now, the, the E there, do you see the E? That means east, does mean entrance. <laughs> the, the, the gateway going into the tabernacle is, is to the east. Now, I want to show you something really cool. When Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden... The Bible says in Genesis 3.24 that God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden because that was where they were kicked out. Now let the Spirit of God begin to show you and speak to you and to show you what, he, what his plan is. This, this here, folks, is a new representation of the Garden of Eden. God kicked Adam and Eve out, and they had to go out through the east gate. And the Bible says that God stationed these mighty angels, or cherubim, with a flashing sword. So they could not get back into Eden. Now look at this. God is saying, it's time now. It's time now for my people to come back into my presence. And God's saying, I'm the one that's making this possible. Watch this. 
Jesus in John 10, verse 9 says, this, I, this sends chills down my spine every time I read it. Jesus says, I am the door. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is saying that he is the door here. The way into the presence of God is through Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. This notion or this idea that there are multiple paths to God, is, that might be your belief, but I can tell you it's not the Christian belief. It's not the Christian faith system. There, Jesus is saying, in essence, I am the only way into the presence of a holy God. Now, I want you to see what comes next. The next thing we have is the bronze altar right there. You see that square box there? And it's called Altar of Burnt Offerings. This is where Israel would have sacrificed animals. There had been the shedding of blood and the sacrifice of animals to atone for people's sins. Atonement, folks, is a payment rendered. Remember the death penalty that God handed out to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? God said, if you eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. They were warned of this, folks, before they ever took the fruit. It wasn't like they took the fruit and God said, that's it, I caught you, you're dead. It's like, well, what, what? They knew what was going on. There was a death penalty. And so look at this, folks. God is saying, we're going to, we are going to deal with this in a legal manner. We are going to deal with this death penalty and you are going to atone for your sins by making these sacrifices. Now folks, remember this. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. Jesus, Jesus is God come to this earth to pay the price for your sins and my sins. And we see a shadow of this in the Old Testament. And then we move on to the, to the laver. You see that, that laver or that wash basin? What's the first thing that you do when you become a Christian? You get baptized, exactly. You get baptized. And do you remember when, when Jesus wanted to wash the feet of his disciples? And Peter said, Jesus, you can't wash my feet. And Jesus says, if you don't let me wash your feet, then you've got no part of me. What's, what is this saying here, folks? Jesus is the one who cleanses us, who washes us. And then we move on from there. We move right into what we call the holy place. And, and we call this also the life. Remember, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Inside this part, this holy place, we see this table here. It's called the showbread. There was 12 loaves of bread here. And this represented... God's caring for and feeding his people. Now, has anybody here ever been to, uh, I'm not picking on Asians here this morning, but have you ever been to an Asian restaurant and, and somewhere in the corner there is a, a, a God and they've got maybe incense burning and then there's some food right in front of it. Has anybody ever seen that? I've seen it in numbers of restaurants and numbers of places. We never saw that years ago, but we're seeing a lot of it now. For the pagans and, and, and the pagan deities, they expected their people to feed them. We see with God the exact opposite. God does not need to be fed. God feeds us. God provides for us. He meets our needs. It's thrilling. 
And then we see across from the, the, the showbread, we see the menorah, or that's the lampstand. Maybe you've seen the Jewish candlestick holder with seven candles. And what does that represent? That re represents the, the light of God. Jesus Christ, Jesus is the light of the world. You need to understand that. And that light never goes out. And then in front, right in front of the holy place, or right in front of the Holy of Holies, is what we call the altar of incense, right there. And that altar of incense represents the prayers of God's people. It represents communion with God. Now look at this, folks. You and I cannot enjoy communion with God unless we are going through Jesus Christ. Now, do you see the progression there? We're going through Jesus Christ, who's the door, through the cross where Jesus was sacrificed, washed through baptism, and, 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 and washing of feet into the holy place, that is the life. And here's what we discover, is that God wants to provide light for our, for our lives, sustenance, that's the showbread, and communion. God wants us to enjoy this fellowship, this provision, this guidance. This is what the children of Israel were looking for when they built the calf, the golden calf. They felt the absence of that. They felt a hunger and a desire for that. But we know today, folks, there's only one way, and we've got to do it God's way. And then we, we go right into the holy place. Now, you see that purple line there? That represents the veil. Now, we, we, what we know from Scripture is that only the high priest could go through that veil into the Holy of Holies once a year, and that was to atone for the sin of all of the nation. Did that one time a year. What he did is he would sprinkle, sprinkle blood on, on top of the Ark of the Covenant. How, remember, how many remember the Ark of the Covenant? If you've seen Indiana Jones, you know what I'm talking about, right? There is a cover on the Ark and that cover has got two angels or two cherubim. Now remember, the Garden of Eden, remember this? The, 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 when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, remember the two angels that were stationed there with a flashing sword? You're not allowed back in. We see the symbolism of the two angels on the Ark of the Covenant. And God's saying, whereas before there was no mercy, now there is mercy. Come and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat and receive mercy for the nation. Again, we see a representation of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice something else, that when, when Jesus Christ died, you may have seen this when you've read the New Testament. When Jesus Christ died, the moment he died, the Bible says that the veil, that, 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 that curtain between the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place, the Bible says that it, it was actually rent in two. And it was, watch this, it, it was, it was cut in half by God because it was from the top to the bottom, not from the bottom to the top. I don't know about you folks, but man, this is, this is so thrilling, so exciting. When we see God's plan, God is saying now, through Jesus Christ, that veil has been torn open so that we can have access to God through Jesus Christ. And you'll notice that in the Holy of Holies is not an idol. It's not an image of a God. It is a box. And in that box is the, is the Ten Commandments, is a jar of manna, and there's uh, Aaron's rod that sprouts. What's the point of it? God's saying, here am I in your midst. Yahweh had chosen Israel. 
in order to begin the restoring of the broken relationship between humanity and himself. Because here's what we know. In the heart of every human being is a hunger, a desire to come back into fellowship with Almighty God. That's what's in all of us. Someone said that men are incurably religious, and that's because we've been created in the image of God, created for fellowship with God. But the point is, folks, is we can't do it our own way. We've got to do it God's way. So in the Old Testament, it was through the tabernacle that we came into the presence of Almighty God. We come to the New Testament, and we find that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of this tabernacle story. You know, the very first thing that happens when Jesus begins his earthly ministry, revealing himself, John the Baptist, as soon as he sees Jesus, here's what he says. He says that the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What is, what is John saying here? John's saying Jesus Christ is the final sacrifice. There's no more need to sacrifice any more animals or shed any more blood because Jesus Christ once and for all is going to the cross to shed his blood to set all of us free from our sin. And not just that, my friends, but to make it possible for us to come into fellowship with, Jesus, with God, with Jesus Christ, with the Father. This is who Jesus is. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now listen to this, folks. When you read in the book of Revelation, I hear, I hear all the time, God ah, doesn't make any sense to me. Read it again. Just, I challenge you to read it again. We find that in, in Revelation chapter 5, what, is, what are the angels and the elders around the throne of God singing? What are they, what are they, what are they declaring? They're saying, worthy is the Lamb Worthy is the Lamb who was slain from the foundation of the earth. He's taken away our sin. Folks, this is Christianity 101. And I would, I would guess that probably 90% of people who go to church don't understand what I've shared with you today. You now understand God's plan from the beginning, and you understand how Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of God's plan. Now watch this. In John, he says, My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if you do, if anyone does sin, let's stop for a moment. Just look at me for a moment. Don't look at that. Look at me. You may be here today, and you may be that person who has sinned. You may, be, you may be a person who gave your heart to Jesus a long time ago. You were excited about your faith. You're on fire for God. You're ready to conquer the world for Jesus. You're, you're willing to do whatever it takes to be a blessing to a broken and hurting world. But then something happened. You sinned. You fell short. You let yourself down. You let God down. You let your wife down. You let your kids down. You let your boss down. You let your pastor down. I don't know. But you know that you've sinned, and you feel such horror. In fact, you feel a separation. Listen to me. Every time we sin, we are going to feel a separation from God because God is a holy God, and sinful people cannot dwell in the presence of a holy God. Friends, this is why God had to send us his son, Jesus. If you have sinned today, if your life is not where it needs to be, the thing that Satan would love 
for you to do is to stay as far away from God as possible. Satan would love it if you said to yourself, well, there's no use, there's no point in trying anymore, I may as well quit, I may as well give up, I'm going to quit teaching Sunday school, I'm, gonna t I'm, I'm not going to usher anymore, I'm not going to greet, I'm not going to do anything anymore because obviously God is, has just dropped me, forgotten about me. God hates me. God doesn't love me anymore. Oh, my friends, don't listen to the lie of Satan. Listen to what the Apostle John says. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate, a lawyer, a comforter, who pleads our case before the Father, and he is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. And every time, folks, you fail God, and you don't do what you're supposed to do, and you have failed your husband and your wife or your kids, you come before God and you say, God, I hate being absent from you. I hate that there's a distance between you, between you and me. God, I want to come back into fellowship with you. And here's what Jesus does before the Father. Jesus stands before the Father and he shows the Father his hands that have been pierced and his side that has been pierced and the, the, the marks on his forehead from that crown of thorns because Jesus Christ died in your place. And God looks at his son and sees how his son has paid the price for your sin. And God says, I forgive you, my son. I forgive you, my daughter. You say, but Pastor Ellen, how many times? I'm going to tell you, folks, that Jesus' work at the cross knows no bounds. As long as you are humble enough to come before God and confess your sins, then God will embrace you and give you yet another chance. Someone said that God's a God of the second chance. I'm here to tell you that God is a God of the millionth chance. And some of us need a million chances. That's the God we serve, my friends. God's not finished with you yet. And if your life is not where it needs to be, I'm telling you today, get alone with God. Confess your sins to him. And the Bible says he's faithful and he's just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness because of Jesus. Not because you're so wonderful, but because Jesus is. Not because you're perfect, but because Jesus is. Fifty days after the Passover. And remember, Jesus is the Passover lamb. Fifty, Fifty days after the Passover lamb died is the day of Pentecost, the day that the Holy Spirit is poured out. Now watch this. This will blow your mind. Well, at least does mine. Watch this. It says, Acts chapter 2, 3, and 4, And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. I want you to look at what's over the heads of these people. These are tongues of fire. That represents the fire or the presence of God. Now, there's a reason why God gives this sort of imagery to the people, to the first believers, and here's why. Because we see it over the tabernacle. 
can we, can we go? There we go. We see it right See that? There it is right there. That represents the, the, the presence of Almighty God. And then we see it also in the day of Pentecost, which is right over the heads of the people. Watch this, folks. God no longer dwells in temples. Does everybody understand that today? God does not dwell in temples built by the hands of man. The Bible says that God has come to dwell in us. When you became a Christian, the Shekinah glory, the spirit of the living God who was in the tabernacle, now comes to dwell in you and you and you and in me. That makes us, remember I talked about being superheroes? That makes us superheroes for God. Super agents able to go and do the work that God has called you and me to do. The first thing that happened to me when I became a Christian, when I felt, I felt a, a definite, definite change in me, the first thing I felt was like a massive weight was lifted from my shoulders. I felt like I could fly. I felt the burden of sin lifted. The next thing I felt was a power from on high. And you want, to, you want to know what I did? The very first thing I started doing is I started telling all my friends about Jesus. And I started bringing them to church. I started bringing them to Sunday school, to, to Boys Brigade. I, I brought them to anything I could, but I wanted them to come and hear the message. I was empowered by the Holy Spirit to become a servant of God. I started having small groups before anybody was doing small groups in, in, in Canada. It was... Uh, it, it was just a move of the Holy Spirit in my heart. I wanted to gather people around. I wanted to get involved and serve, serve God. I started teaching Sunday school when I was 15. I started volunteering at camp as a youth counselor. And then I wanted immediately to get to Bible school because I am an agent of God with the Holy Spirit within me, equipped to do the work of God, equipped to go and advance the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And I'm going to tell you this today. It's not just Pastor Alan Duncalf, but it's everybody here today who says, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I am a Christian. If you're a Christian today, you have the Holy Spirit and you have a commission. And it's to go into this dark world and tell them that there's a God that loves them and wants to draw them back to himself. Would you stand with me, please? Father, thank you so much. that you have made it possible for us to come back into your presence. We think of how Adam and Eve were evicted from the garden. And then we see here in the tabernacle, you are admitting humans back into your presence again, back into the garden. But we see, God, that this was a temporary plan and that your final plan was that through Jesus Christ, we would have access to the Father. Father, if there's anyone here today who's not yet put their faith in Jesus Christ, God, we pray that today would be the day when they would say, God, I want to have communion with you. I want to fellowship with you. God, I pray in Jesus' name, do that work by your spirit. And I thank you, God, for many of us who have given our, our hearts to you, many of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ. For those who have not yet done that, God, may this be the day May they just find themselves sending us an email, giving us a phone call so that we can lead them in that process. For those, God, who have slipped away from you, who have backslidden, 
Satan would love nothing more than to keep that backslider away from you. But God, today, you have revealed the truth to that heart, and you want to restore that man, that woman, that child, so that they're back in the presence of Almighty God. Thank you, God, for the power that's ours to be your secret agents in this world. Help us to be found faithful, to be obedient to the call. In Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Tell the person beside you, go be God's secret agent.